Hi, and welcome to Sustainability Explored, a podcast where I unfold, with the help of my brave guests from across the world, how sustainability practices are integrated into business operations in various industries. My name is Anna. I am an environmentalist, sustainability consultant, and the host of this show. Today we are talking with Aya Ulan, industrial designer with a focus on sustainable design. Originally from Kazakhstan, now based in Barcelona, Spain, Aya contacted me on LinkedIn after listening to some episodes on this very podcast, expressing her appreciation and an idea to collaborate someday. So I immediately suggested we do an interview together. I didn't cover sustainable furniture design before and I was really curious about this topic, so it looked like a perfect opportunity to get into it. As you have guessed, we will be talking about interior design in a sustainable manner today. How it is different from conventional sustainability, uh, what's the variety of certification for eco-design, principles of eco-design, and design for the circularity and circular economy, and many, many more interesting things, of course. Aya will be sharing lots of cool resources on the go, so don't miss out. Also, before we start our interview, you can use this moment to subscribe to always be up to date with the sustainability news across countries and industries. All right, let's dive right into it. Hi, Aya. It's very good to have you today with me. Finally, on this show, we have an eco-designer, environmental designer, who is also by some miracle of fate is my regular listener and that's how we connected super excited super happy to hear from you today the topic we will uncover is your professional stream is your professional uh, choice is design yes hi anna uh, i'm very happy to be part of the podcast uh, and i thank you for inviting me I'm really excited to share actually my experience because I think it's something relatively new to have this claim of uh, environmental designer. And uh, I will explain a little bit further the, my um, experience in furniture, but a disclaimer, design can be applied to anything, whether it's a product or a service because of uh, well, my training and I think most of the designers who are trained, they are the way how we uh, do things, it's very similar. So it's just a matter of a certain, uh, putting it in context, but uh, the process are pretty much similar. How did you start? Was it a calling or was it a choice? It's the first time I am talking to a real life designer, honestly, <laughs> especially in the environmental sphere. And I'm very curious to know how did you, how did you step on the path of sustainability? Well, I would start with my origins, perhaps. Let's say it's... Um Miracle, it's a surprise for both of us perhaps that uh, we are all coming from the post-Sovietic uh, countries. We, we are both from post-Sovietic countries. So uh, I'll be speaking for myself, but maybe you can also relate that uh, in our families, without knowing that, we already have been practicing certain habits that are actually now uh, reviving, returning in the Occidental world. The, the reuse of uh, packaging, use of uh, products for a very long time, the act of uh, repairing stuff 
it was always uh, something that was uh, valued in, in my family. And I think it was unconsciously building up the way how I think, how my family thinks, that eventually respond to the issues that are now very uh, well publicized. Like, yeah. Now everyone is talking about that, how we can prevent environmental um, impacts with our small acts of, uh, of a lifestyle. So it's something that was already inside me, but uh, initially my background, my, my family, we never had designers. We didn't even uh, have uh, relatives related to design sphere or art, except my grandfather, he was actually an engineer. And uh, the way why I say that is because I actually was curious about design. It was something that very new for me and with a huge wave of uh, this uh, access to information, the technology development at the beginning of 2000s, it actually really shaped me. Before that, I didn't even think of what I wanted to do. So uh, thanks to this advances of technology, I could start my own research uh, and uh, realize, oh, that looks interesting, so maybe I should start here. It's different from what others are doing, because obviously when you have uh, your life, in my case, uh, seeing the typical professions as a lawyer, economist, economist yes, <laughs> uh, there, there were no actually um, bigger choice, so you end up being bored and not really interested in that. And uh, that was the reason why I uh, decided to pursue my higher education abroad because um, the universities do offer you a wider choice, a wider range of uh, different uh, uh, faculties. So I was really interested in uh, actually design rather than, let's say for me, design is more of a, it's not the same as art. So in having some basis of design, I uh, was also thinking that. Uh, Maybe I should do much more technical thing that is very related to design, but it definitely will give me a better depth of knowledge and it will be much more uh, applicable in, on, in the long run. So my grandfather actually was an engineer, which was a mining engineer. So it was also a tribute to a family to continue engineering paths. And to my surprise and to my luck, I found this program, which is uh, called uh, engineering and industrial design and product development and I actually studied in Barcelona at the National University, it's called the Universidad Politecnica de Catalunya, so it's a public university. What's the language of studying? Uh, the language of studying actually in Barcelona, that's a very good question, it's Catalan. So I had to learn uh, in Spanish and uh, Catalan to, to get uh, to the university. Basically during this uh, university years, it was, I must say, it was at the beginning quite uh, confusing. What exactly are we doing? <laughs> Is it we are designing products? Is it that we can help produce the products or in a technical manner, in, in a line of production? Or is it that we are developing products to put them on the market? So eventually, my career actually helps me to, it, it, it gives me opportunity to do anything of, of these product development steps. And that's, uh, I think at, at the second year of university, I realized, damn, this is a, this is a great choice I did. And, I was, and I'm still very proud of the choice I did because it really gives me the cards 
uh, the, it opened doors for me to get in any stage of production process, of, of development process. And uh, like I said earlier, the, the, the way how we think, the way how we train to think, it helps you to get, um, to adapt quicker to any environment. Depending on, on, the, on the context you are in, it's, uh, it's just a matter of a couple of weeks to get into the topic and you are able to understand how the structure works, how the system works. By the end of the, my university studies, I was uh, exposed to this opportunity to participate in a research program that was uh, held at my university, which is called uh, Circular Design, um, Learning for Innovative Design for Sustainability Research that was funded by Erasmus Plus. And my university was the leader of this research. It was an international research between four countries. Uh, I think it's a great start for me. It was, it was a huge opportunity for me to actually learn more about sustainability. It's actually, I can say it was one of the first conscious steps towards sustainability in design. Our project was based on solving local problems. In my case, we were challenged with uh, fishnets. The fishing nets uh, that are being discarded at uh, Irish ports, and especially the problem was with ghost nets. I don't know if you know about them, but uh, for Ireland, one of the most important industry in economy is uh, fishing. So the residue that uh, Irish fishermen have is, is the fishing nets. And in many cases, in most of the cases, the most accessible ones are made of plastic. And as we know, plastic and uh, water are not a really good friends <laughs> because they harm the ecosystem of the water, of the oceans, of the, of the animals. And we definitely uh, saw all those uh, traumatic images of animals suffering. So in our case, we were uh, paired with a small, business that is actually trying to help the situation and repurpose the discarded fishing nets into new product. And what was it? What was this new product? <laughs> um, in our case, we uh, prepared a service that will help the company to transform it into products. It means that we would involve uh, fishermen to help recollect uh, the, the nets. Uh, we would, the idea is to create work for those who are unemployed to help cleaning those fishing nets because it's also a big problem with, uh, with discarded used nets. They smell like fish and it's not very pleasant. And uh, eventually um, we proposed a list of different uh, tools to help the small enterprise that being said is low budget to use uh, certain tools to recycle these nets into products for that they are already using for example the bags out of uh, sailcloth from the old ships and also they introduced uh, nets as a part of a decorative um, solution in our case we, we also designed a mold to do a new fishing net needle. It is a tool to, to help the fishermen to repair the needles. So it was also a way to introduce and show to the fishermen that actually the discarded fishing nets can be very useful. <laughs> Thanks to this program, 
we developed way of thinking, a system thinking. So it's not only just uh, solve a solution through design a certain product, but think of all the system, all, all the stakeholders, all the stages of life cycle of this product or material that can help, that can be improved, to consider the, the impact that it can make on the long run, it definitely shapes the way you think. The best I think is that created, that's the part I love the most, is that probably it created the sense of ownership. All those stakeholders of the idea, fishermen are engaged, they know and they will see the result of their work. So they do it, they are motivated, they, they want to do it. Uh, the buyers, the service, the clients, and so on. Everybody sees how their part is influencing the end result. And uh, yeah, the sense of ownership is extremely important. Exactly. Yeah. You're absolutely right. The, the sense of ownership, the sense of responsibility uh, is uh, very important to nurture in uh, each person because it definitely changes the way how, how we think, how we act, what, how, how we take decisions. Yeah, totally. When you recalled the, you know, the earlier years of, the, of life in Kazakhstan, it almost brought tears to my eyes. Now I'm always going to the supermarket with what is called the spider bag. And I remember when I was little, we had a this spider bag at home and my grandma would take me with him to the open market. And as a little kid, I remember asking myself the question, why does everyone need to see what we bought? <laughs> I didn't want any exposure. Like, why do they have to know that we bought potatoes? So I remember that. And one of the most, the brightest memories is my grandma washing plastic bags in the bathtub to reuse them again. And they would lose the color and the picture uh, on both sides. And then when she would send my, my aunt to, to the market or somewhere to the shop, she would be embarrassed. She's still embarrassed by those plastic bags in her memory that, oh my God, people will see this uh, ugly looking washed plastic bags. But we were doing that, you know, we were doing that. And at some point it just became, oh, it's fine. Let's just throw everything away. You collect and collect and collect them until a certain point, until all the cupboard is filled with these damn plastic bags that you hope to reuse someday for, for garbage or something and it gets thrown away. So I think we got this um, easy solution at some point. By the way, I learned recently, very recently, I learned that plastic uh, emerged as uh, a response to activists push to cut down on uh, paper bags, to cut down on logging. And so ages ago, plastic was really seen as a, as a miracle, as a great solution, as the best solution. Now mm -hmm. we're going, you see the spiraling, going back to paper, but no, we don't want paper. We want something more and more reusable. Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned that because it's it's I didn't I didn't know about this uh, activist solution, but huge paranoia about plastic being so bad. I think it's not really justified because eventually the problem is one use like single use plastic, 
not, not the plastic itself. Plastic is actually a really interesting material. It, it definitely helped us to do uh, a lot of technological advances. But, but uh, the, I think the issue here, it was uh, the, the design. Uh, and uh, actually one of the, the founders of the Institute of Cradle to Cradle, uh, William McDonough, mentioned that in his uh, book of upcycling that the problem, uh, the environmental problem is that we have is actually that is, is a design problem. So referring to plastic, it was the, the problem that someone didn't think of the, the consequences it can have bringing plastic material to something that is not supposed to be durable and it's not supposed to last long and uh, has, a, has a huge uh, periods of uses. It can damage the material itself and shred it. Because back then, I think it, it was not even considered to be uh, part of the thinking process. I, I, I do understand that the, the issue is a plastic-free future. And it's true that uh, the, most of the plastics that are commercially available now are based on petroleum. But there are a lot of new plastics that are based on natural materials, such as uh, wood or uh, cotton. There are, we, we are advanced uh, technologically to achieve this type of uh, renewable uh, materials. And I think that this is brilliant, but that's, once again, thanks to our involvement uh, and our continuous research. And uh, yeah, I think that's, that's uh, definitely gives a promise for a better free future. <laughs> totally. For you, design is art or science? I think it's uh, on the edge of uh, both. It's a question that many designers and people ask in general. What is design? Is it art? And for me, when I hear that something is made, is design, designer piece or designer product, for me, it just doesn't make any sense because anything that you own is designed. <laughs> design itself, it's a process. It's a process of bringing an idea to uh, a tangible or intangible product. It's a huge flock of communication. Whoever, whoever thought it was a good idea, it definitely uh, undermines the, the actual value of design. And uh, for me, design is a mixture of uh, both, best parts of both, of science and, uh, and art. So eventually it's engineering. Engineering, <laughs> yeah. Comfort or aesthetics? That's a good question. I think our, as a designer, our goal is to get a balance of both because uh, aesthetics is also sort of a function of emotional pleasure. And maybe it's not considered as such, but I do understand that it does reflect and it does uh, respond to our need for visual pleasure, tactical pleasure. And it's uh, important to add it. It's not an extra. It's not something to, to sell. It's not a tool to do better marketing. It's something to respond to the needs of human being because we do have, uh, we do react to visual stuff much more easily. And uh, that is important uh, thing to take into account when designing things like this. Yeah. Design for sustainability. Your focus now is in furniture or design of something else? At the moment, yes, we are, I am focused on furniture design. Mm -hmm. But it also, it's, well, the whole experience 
starting to design a furniture was actually very new to me, but it was a, a great start to implement all this knowledge that I've been collecting on uh, environmental design, on, with all the eco-design tools that I've learned and I practiced uh, during my uh, participation in research program. It became a good base to actually apply all this in a furniture uh, field. And um, actually we were working, I was uh, invited to, to, to this job uh, because the company, the, the studio where I work right now at, in Barcelona, it's a dear design studio. It's a, actually an award-winning uh, studio that develops uh, interior solutions, interior space design and products. Since the past two years, they uh, decided to they teamed up with another company, with a new company firm in, from Paris, to create eco-design, eco-conscious collection of furniture for offices. I was really excited about this because when I hear offices, uh, when I hear something that is related to general public, if you asked me two years ago, I probably would not consider that, but now it means certifications. It means all those restrictions that it, the furniture has to respond, not only the, on, on, on the level of functionality and ergonomics, but also on the level of uh, general well-being of the users and obviously the well-being of the environment. I, I think there is one big issue to add there to pour some oil in the fire is the health and safety. I Absolutely, because the, the, this type of furniture use, is usually placed in um, in the spaces, in the public spaces. It, ha it has to all the materials that we that we use they, they need to be considered uh, for the, their flammability their durability that was actually for us was a good challenge <laughs> yeah how is design with sustainability in mind different from design in its conventional mm -hmm. form well design like, like i said uh, it's a complex process of planning and execution an idea and uh, it can be applied to any field so for me personally, I think sustainable design, it's not only applied to physical products, but it also can be applied to services. Uh, and the biggest difference is that it uh, takes in consideration when you are outlining the first idea or redesigning something, you take into consideration the possibility of uh, preserving our resources and ensuring the availability of the resources for future generations. It's, uh, it takes into account the, the, all those environmental impacts that product or service will have mm -hmm. at, a, at each stage of its life cycle. When we design a product or service, we need to project ourselves in a long term to think each step of the product uh, uh, use cycle also. So I think that's, that's the main difference uh, between conventional design and sustainable design that sometimes or most of the time, conventional design is mo mostly focused on users, but sustainable design it just adds the environmental, and not as an, an annex, but actually is based on the well-being of uh, users and sustainable and, and environment. Yeah, so it's at the core instead of on the edge. Exactly. Exactly. That's well said. <laughs> that, does it mean recyclable materials? I don't know, like bamboo or uh, materials that will serve longer? In, in our case, in the project that uh, I've been working on with, with uh, Dear Design and Fern, 
our main focus was materials. We, we set ourselves a challenge to join two different types of materials, which are recycled materials and upcycled materials into one object. And in this case, for example, we, we designed an office desk that does have upcycled wood from old trains and the recycled plastic. Our process of designing this, this furniture was that it is easy to disassemble and each piece can be either reused or repurposed for something else or recycled. These are some of the eco-design tools actually that uh, help uh, designers to focus, to, to be more conscious of the environmental impacts design can have. Some of them are the monomaterial or the modularity of the product. Those are one of the approaches to, to achieve this step to design products that are respectful with our environment. Right. And the material choices is one of the most important uh, for me, I think, because in design of furniture, it has to respond to multitude of uh, issues. And uh, I, th I think with uh, our collection, we managed to do this, considering it was our actually first experience for most of us. <laughs> It is a huge step towards a more sustainable products. And obviously, our goal now is to improve not only in the design, but also in the whole process of production, the, the supply chain, the management of end-of-life of product. These are the stages that we are considering and improve, in improving our products and services. When you said it's, it should, the furniture, the desk was easy to disassemble, it reminded me the big problem with our modern smartphones is that you cannot just simply take out the battery and change the battery and keep using the, uh, the product, the piece as a whole. Yes. This is something uh, I hope will, will be going towards changing. Another thing I wanted to ask you, do you think take back systems for furniture specifically, something for us to see in the future in terms of circular economy and closed loops. I've never seen it before, honestly. I think it's something relatively new because, uh, well, from my knowledge, I, I discovered that in France, for example, there are services that are focusing on taking some furniture, used and unwanted furniture for their, and then they, they keep it for their facilities for the further recycling or upcycling. For me, it is a reference. The only entities that are taking this responsibility are usually government uh, entities, such as waste management uh, companies. And, uh, and I think it also depends on the legislation of uh, where your furniture is, where you are, because uh, each country has their own um, policies for waste management because at this point when when we talk about the take-back system uh, unfortunately it, in many cases it's, it is considered as a waste and actually the goal of uh, this new economical model the circular economy is to get rid of this concept of waste and treat it as a resource so in this case the, the french uh, entity has this service of taking it back and not throwing to the landfill but giving this opportunity for other small and medium enterprises to take advantage of this material. I 
don't know, and if someone else knows from your listeners, I would really happy to to know if uh, in your country uh, you do have similar companies or entities that are taking these services uh, and, and they are offering the services. In theory, the take-back system applied in furniture, it's definitely uh, something that can be possible, but it, it requires a, a total change of your uh, business model. On the other side, I think this uh, approach is also very beneficial for the community because to take back the furniture or any product, it means that you need a certain logistic team, you yeah. need uh, space for storage, you need a team for preparing this uh, product for further use, mm-hmm. cleaning, maintenance. So while I'm talking, we can imagine that all of these are actually employment places. The beneficial part of the circular economy is to create jobs and help to develop a much more stable society. Examples of this business model with the take-back system is one of the promising addition to, to current business. To the companies that are producing furniture, I think it would be really interesting. But at the same time, it's very difficult. For me, I see, I see it's quite difficult to collaborate with, uh, especially when you are selling the, your, your products abroad, when you are on international market, it's quite difficult to control if your products are being well recycled, well managed in terms of uh, basically avoiding them ending up into the landfill. But this workshop atelier that you describe, it's, it's a great example of local economy, the, this concept of donut economy. And if you remember, there was an episode with Cleona, also from Spain, mm-hmm. about circular economy. Again, I don't know if it was in the episode or in our discussion before or after, but she said there was some factory in Spain that didn't have enough uh, jobs, uh, enough um, kind of production rolling uh, so they were like half work and half not because uh, buying in china was much cheaper then covid hit disruption of um, supply chains happened they completely repurposed yeah they, they were like they had the production lines but then they had to repurpose the government not only promised them that they will buy they helped them to restart their processes and they were like, yeah, why Why in the first place we were even buying from China when now during this extreme crisis, Spain was hit very hard. We have people employed, we have our products produced here, we cut down on CO2 emissions, on transport, on logistics, on so many things and we are benefiting from keeping it to ourselves. I think if, if there is like creation of jobs because of uh, this workshop, atelier of furniture repair, that's uh, for the benefit of all. Yeah, I think like for, for me, um, it was one of the questions when I was uh, in the defense of my thesis, one of the professors asked me, do you actually believe in circular economy? And said, yes, of course I do, because that, that's why I actually want to do it that's, that's why i am dedicating my uh, uh, career and my, my career path to this because i think it's in theory and i think it's already um, justified with the certain case studies around the world in europe there are many case studies of these um, companies that are, that are basing their business model on circular economy it shows that it is possible the obviously it will be taking a long time to to readjust but like we said, 
step by step, each, each uh, decision, each uh, action we are doing matters. And, yeah. and it definitely brings us a step closer to this uh, uh, change. Totally. And, and uh, talking about the local production, it's uh, something that I would like to also highlight because in our case, when we were designing uh, our first collection of furniture, it was really important, uh, the production of it. So we, all the production is local, all made in Europe and uh, with, with suppliers from Europe with uh, certified materials. And uh, it was a huge uh, step for us to prove that, hey, it is possible. You just need to apply a little bit of effort <laughs> and, and move forward. Yeah, and just take it, uh, take it as an experiment with a, lot, a bit of adventureness and joy. Oh, but discovery, sense of discovery. What is there uh, around where I live? Maybe there is some hidden and forgotten master or wood master that uh, can help me out with some. Yeah, that, that's a great point. Are there any principles craved in stone or wood uh, for uh, eco-design? I think one of the, well, especially for the people who are just trying to understand what is uh, eco-design and how is it related to circular economy, I would definitely recommend uh, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. I think it was mentioned many times in your podcast. <laughs> it is still a, a reference. They did this set of uh, data of the resources for uh, helping academia, students, and the industry to start doing these uh, changes in the way how they work and it's called the circular design guide and also uh, it definitely worth to mention that the project that where i was participating one of the objectives of this research project was to create uh, another database of the open resources open educational resources and i definitely recommend uh, to check it it is available and it very well sorted for different types of users, whether you're a first-timer or you're actually having a business and you want to learn your first step or what to do with it, how to change it. And uh, it's a very good resource yeah. uh, for those who need So to summarize, I would like to mention quickly some of the main tools in eco-design that are those are basically based on the responding of principles of circular economy as of durability, reusable design, the design that is focused on repairability, uh, that, that are fighting the programmed obsolescence, and uh, modularity, that's there. Can, they can go hand in hand because it would mean that uh, in a product it, it is constructed of different modules and they are independent so they can actually be replaced. One of the great examples is uh, of a mobile phone that is based on those principles is a uh, Fair phone, the Dutch uh, company. Also, I, I am really interested and I'm, I'm continuing learning. It is also very important to say that uh, as, a, as a designer in the focus on sustainability, every day is, is learning. You learn a lot of things and it is uh, important to systematically invest time and your mind to accept more information. So for me, uh, this field is really interesting. It's um, organic materials, uh, the, the new composite materials uh, that are biodegradable or bio-based. This is new, some, some of the, oh, it's not new, it's new for me, <laughs> but it's a really interesting topic. 
It's a really interesting field and uh, there is a lot of experimentation going on. There's, there's a lot of resources on, on that because every day you see people that are starting to experiment to see how they can uh, improve the materials that are already in use, how they can be replaced. For example, there is a company, the company that is uh, actually making leather out of uh, pineapple uh, or, or other companies that are making new material with uh, mushrooms. With, I was with, uh, just, just thinking today about uh, clothing. It would be nice to buy at least one biodegradable piece of clothes, garment. I wear my clothing for a very long time and I wear them until the point where it becomes the housewear. So, and I have mm -hmm. lots of that. I have no idea what to do with all of that. It's, you know, to the point where it's too old to give it to someone for free and impossible mm -hmm. to sell. So what do you do mm -hmm. with that? But of course, you get tired of the same clothes sooner or later. For me, I, I do shopping honestly maybe once every five years. But how nice would it be to have a biodegradable t-shirt made of pineapple that you wear for two, three seasons, and then it becomes organic, uh, organic waste. There are a lot of uh, investigation in that, in that sense, because actually one of the most polluting industries is fashion. Yeah. You mentioned the certification uh, and it really connects in my mind with fashion because I, I interviewed your, in a way, your colleague from sustainable fashion, also from Spain, also from Barcelona, Sharakovsky. Uh, <laughs> she's a circular fashion consultant and she also mentioned the pineapple leather and the certification named Cradle to Cradle. Is it the same for the furniture? What kind of varieties in certifications are there? Cradle to Cradle certification is actually um, relatively new. I think it was uh, the Institute for Cradle to Cradle products was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, was uh, founded in 2008-2010 by uh, Willem McDonald who uh, who is actually an arch architect and an activist uh, and uh, i would re i also recommend to read his books that uh, the cradle to cradle and uh, and the upcycle that they really did those these books actually help to understand why uh, it is important design for sustainability actually 80 percent of uh, the environmental impact is this is decided at the stage of design so that being said the design is is having a crucial role in uh, sustainable development one of the um, way to to justify if your product is responding to those uh, issues to water use to a renewable energy use to uh, the materials that are environmentally friendly at the moment it can be justified with a third-party entity such as the Cradle to Cradle Institute uh, and they do have an available um, library of online of products uh, that are certified and it's not only applied for fashion it can be applied to the products to household products to furniture and uh, materials the, the construction materials so it's a, it has a really wide range of uh, products for certification and has uh, different levels of certification as well and um, it is a, one of the most uh, i would say uh, referenced and uh, becoming to one of the most known certification around the globe 
I would say actually this is even a prestigious certification for products to achieve. Um, there, but there are different, definitely there are many other certifications, uh, certificating um, entities uh, around the world. In, in, uh, well, in Europe, they're different depending on the country as well. Each country usually has their own national certification. There is also uh, generally in uh, European Union, there is an eco label, EU eco label, which can be found on different uh, products, also even on the food. On, on, your, uh, on the food that you're buying in the grocery store or in your detergent. And uh, also there is another one that is also worth to mention, it's a Nordics one. Uh, it is uh, another certification and uh, actually it's one of the most difficult to achieve. So basically certifications are a very good way to actually communicate if your product is uh, really environmentally friendly. Mm-hmm. And uh, also I think the great thing about Cradle to Cradle is it's not only the environmental impact, but also social impact, because uh, the social uh, fairness is uh, really important when, uh, when products are being developed, when uh, uh, products, uh, the, the supply chain, the, the producers, if they are well treated, if, the, if they have fair uh, conditions for work, it is really important uh, to take into account that sustainability is not only focused on the environmental protection it is also focused on social fairness totally is iso certification anywhere on the list for the furniture yes uh for iso there is a there is a huge list of different types of certification uh, and um there are actually different specification for different type of furniture whether it's domestic or not domestic and uh, the way you are actually work the, for, for, the, for the company. There, there's an important certification uh, in ISO that are really important for the companies that are striving for sustainability to achieve, which is uh, ISO 14,000, 14, uh, um, which is a quality assurance certification, and uh, ISO 14,006, which is eco-design certification that responds to um, whether your company, the, the whole process of the development of uh, your services or products is environmentally and uh, socially um, responsible. There is a company, there is an individual that is trying to produce something uh, or offer something that is uh, responding to environmental issues, to social issues, and also beneficial to to the society, to, to the community, and also gives them opportunity to benefit from it. I think that's that's the goal. Mm-hmm. But this is at the moment, unfortunately, there's a lot of greenwashing. There's a lot of companies that are um, getting on into the bandwagon and trying to promote them as the uh, environmentally friendly products. But unfortunately, it's not true because if we try to dig deeper, uh, it's, there is a lack of transparency. Uh, and this is one of the important parts of uh, environmentally conscious, sustainability conscious company is the transparency and integrity of whatever they're doing. Yeah, I, I also think, like, I feel and I see it in my own behavior that people, people's trust will eventually completely shift towards the companies that are transparent, environmentally conscious, mm-hmm. socially compliant. Absolutely. 
to wrap up this big conversation, I took tons of, of notes, Churchill uh, Design Guide, Ellen MacArthur Foundation and everything, Fairphone. I will uh, add all the links um, uh, in the show notes. My three last question, the challenges that you see in the industry. Um, I think the, the most, the, the challenging thing is, is the, there is more and more companies that are actually taking this risk because eventually it's, it is a risk, but it's definitely worth to take it, to, take, to, to do this a step forward. And uh, from my perspective, I think there is a, a gap that is uh, in the process of uh, decreasing. It's uh, um, a collaboration between not only inside the industry, but the collaboration between academia and the government. It is a model, it is a framework actually, because it's called the Triple Helix Framework, which has been um, about 10 years ago, which has been uh, uh, developed to a quintuple innovation helix framework, um, where academia, industry, the government, public, and the environment, environment they are all uh, taken into account uh, to address sustainable development uh, challenges. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is the framework, this is, this is a goal to, to achieve uh, more, to achieve more in, in a shorter time is actually to include all the stakeholders at the very early stage and to understand better this, the situation, um, to understand it as more of a system rather than a single problem because eventually it is a, more of a system problem rather than individual one. Um, I've collected a lot of additional resources to continue my own research. I hope the listeners will follow the lead. Is there one piece of advice that you would share with us? Or, you know, lots of books have been shared, the guidelines. Anything that maybe you are reading or watching a movie right now that you say, that's the hit, that's the bomb, that's something you should definitely uh, look into. Oh, I, did, I think I have a lot of reference to share with you, but uh, the most recent ones that I definitely recommend to watch, it has nothing to do with equity design, but it has everything to do with our uh, well-being. It's called H2O. Um, it is a documentary about uh, the superhero of the molecules, which is water, and how uh, this uh, how water is uh, important, is crucial for our existence and uh, how it, everything is interconnected. It's, it is a PBS documentary. It, it has uh, three episodes and definitely worth to watch it. Uh, also, I would definitely recommend for those who are in the field of design to watch a documentary done by Gustio Posilier. It's called Ethics for Design. And uh, a very, uh, it's, it's a staple, it is a very important book for anyone uh, in, in, uh, involved in design to read, it, which is called uh, Design for the Real World by Viktor Papanek. You definitely contributed a lot. I personally learned a ton from you today, and I'm sure the listeners will, will do too. Uh, Aya, thanks a ton, first of all, for contacting me, for reaching out to say, hey, hi, I listened to your podcast. Maybe we can collaborate in the future. Like, honestly, I didn't know anything about furniture and environmental design, sustainability design. Even though uh, I myself follow a lot of podcasts on architecture, urbanism, and design. Yes. 
huge thanks to you for your reactivity, proactiveness. I appreciate it and I really, uh, well, thanks to you to actually taking this step forward and, and invite me to participate. Thank you, Anna. Ciao. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions, do let me or I know. Please reach out to us on LinkedIn. If you like the podcast in general, please consider subscribing, sharing on your social media, or leaving a review and rating on the platform you're listening on, or all of this, of course. I would appreciate a lot if you rate us on our Purchaser page and leave a review there. I reply each and everyone in person. By taking your time to give your honest feedback, you help me to improve it, to improve the show, and also you help more people interested in practical aspects of sustainability to discover this channel. I'd also like to use this opportunity to invite you to check some other related episodes out, such as Circular Economy Challenges and Systemic Change with Cleona Howie Del Rio from Climate Kick that I mentioned during the interview. Also, Sustainable Business Models with Anna Itkin to learn how to practice system thinking. Um, there is also a very good course on LinkedIn on this topic that I can honestly recommend. Another episode that is worth your attention is Impact Investment and Circular Economy with Ron Gonen from Closed Loop Partners. Uh, there you will learn a little bit about investment into circularity-driven companies and startups. It's a short episode, slightly longer than 20 minutes, but it's definitely worth listening, I think. Uh, another one is Sustainable Fashion, Where Are We Going? Interview with Claudia Sherakovsky, also an episode that I mentioned um, today during the interview, and it's uh, the second popular in the history of this podcast. If you're curious, the first one is the one with Cleona on uh, Circular Economy Challenges. Anyway, apart from that, apart from the episodes I named, of course, you're more than welcome to listen to every other episode that resonates with you. We have covered um, flowers, cannabis, um, cities twice, uh, three times already. I'd be happy if you connect with me on LinkedIn, challenge me with your questions, or if you can share with me or Aya some examples of furniture repairs or workshops, that will be very much appreciated. You're also invited to suggest guests or topic if, you like me, if you'd like me to cover uh, something in particular in the future. I talk too much, I know. Uh, thanks for listening, for being with us today. And until next time, next Thursday, stay tuned. Take care and stay sustainable. Bye-bye.